Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamentals Podcast. My name is Jack, and I am joined, as always, by the former vicar, now seminary student, Jeff Tucker. Jeff, how are you today? Doing great. It's a nice warm day in Phoenix, Arizona. Looking forward to going on a walk later, but otherwise feeling good. That's awesome. Yeah, we had a little, little warm out today when we were doing car line. We're back to having our, our kids on campus with a bunch of different procedures. And so our safe procedures for car line make it take a long time. And I get the wonderful job of being right out in the middle of the black uh, parking lot, enjoying the sun, directing a few cars. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's worth it to have the kids back and do what we're doing. That's for sure. Yep, that's true. Feels nice. Uh, and so we are uh, in the book of First Peter. We did the uh, first chapter last week. Hopefully you guys were able to catch that. If not, it's available on all those platforms. Please uh, take a look at it. Uh, but we're ready to jump into to chapter two. But uh, Jeff, do you want to just give kind of a, a little bit of a recap from the, the authorship and kind of what we hit on in the first chapter as we go into the second? Uh, yeah, so Peter is um, writing to people scattered throughout kind of the Roman world. Uh, he talks about being this kind of, it's concept of being born again, which Jesus establishes in John three. Peter doesn't use exactly the same language, but it is what he's getting at and what it means to be born again, to have God as your father, if we are adopted sons and daughters through Christ's blood, and then what it means to be called as holy. So mm -hmm. if we are the children of God, then we're called to be holy, just as Israel was called God's people. And then there was an expectation for how they would live. So it's, that uh, establishing theology and then kind of the exhortation, kind of the same structure that we had throughout most of Hebrews was First uh, mm -hmm. Peter 1. And then we sort of get uh, basically the same layout again in, in chapter 2. Yeah, awesome. So let's do it. Let's dive into chapter two here. Uh, we're using the ESV translation. So if you're reading along, uh, that's the version you'll want to use. And here are verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So yeah, verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So again, just like so often in Hebrews, if you believe everything that I've just established in my writing previous to this chapter, earlier in this letter. So if you believe that you're called by God, if you believe that God is your father, if you believe in the eternal word, if you believe that he has offered a pure sacrifice for your sake and that you are saved in his name, and if this is now your true identity, then live in the new life. Put away these vices, yeah, these vices, malice, deceit, mm -hmm. hypocrisy, envy, all slander. And then what does it mean to be born again? Newborns are called infants, right? And mm -hmm. what do infants desire? What do they need? What's a basic necessity for an infant? Yeah, they need milk. They need milk. And so mm -hmm. in the same way, we are born again of the spirit. So we need that basic spiritual milk. And it's a natural desire that we should have if we are living as people that are born again, born anew in Christ. Mm -hmm. And without that milk or without something to supplement what that milk provides, a baby doesn't really develop. It needs that to live a mm. long, well-nourished life as part of its natural development. So it's a good natural thing for a baby to receive physical milk in the same way that a newborn in the spirit should receive spiritual milk. And, and all these people that Peter is writing to, you think about the context of Christianity, 
almost all Christians in this time period are spiritual newborns, right? Yeah. They're not, they aren't <laughs> born into the faith more than likely. They are people mm -hmm. that have received this gospel later in life. They have heard the testimony of this real historical figure, Jesus Christ, who came to the world, suffered, died, and was raised again. So they are hearing this as people that are physically older, but they're being called to be born again. So this is, this is real radical theology that Peter is explaining to these people. Yeah. And, and what I love again with this idea of spiritual milk, and you think about a newborn is um, they don't just, it's not a one-time thing. It's not like, okay, you got your milk, you're good. Don't worry about it. It's a continual um, feeding. And you think about how dependent the newborn is actually on, the, on their father to, to take, take care of them, to provide for them as well. So you think about how that relates to our faith to develop this dependency um, on our spiritual father there. And then, um, and I'm thinking too, again, about this idea of the continually enjoying milk. It's again, not that it's not one big experience. It's not that one mission trip I did. It's not that one thing on Sunday mornings. It's not my one day out of the month. It's this continual, a part of your life that allows for that development. Again, we can't go to the gym one time and then suddenly we've got it all figured out. And that's all. And we've righted the ship. No, it's that continual nature that uh, he's really trying to develop. Um, yeah, I, I think we, as Christians, we fluctuate really between uh, being spiritually newborns and, and spiritually mature people. I, I, to say it's a linear progression, I don't think conveys the truth of what it means to live in the world as a Christian human being. So mm -hmm. sometimes we need just that basic necessity. We need the spiritual milk. You know, we, we get ourselves uh, feeling good. We, we have an ego about our faith and then something comes along and it knocks us down a peg or there's a tragedy or something that mm. shakes our foundation or, or makes us feel insecure. And so we need to return just to the, the purity of the gospel, the pure spiritual milk that God loves us. He loves us enough to send his son and his son died a, a perfect death. He lived a perfect life for our sake mm -hmm. and was raised again. Sometimes it's okay if you just need to return to that spiritual milk. But on the same hand, it is not natural for a baby to stay a baby forever. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make any sense. The, the goal, the beauty of having children mm -hmm. is watching them grow and develop. And mm -hmm. as you grow and develop, you start to eat more complex foods, presence company excluded, Jack. Uh, <laughs> but most people, most people grow up and they eat more complex foods with more <laughs> complex flavors. It's the same with our theology. As we grow, we should be testing ourselves, stretching ourselves, mm -hmm. being in God's word and seeing what new things he is bringing to us each day. Yeah. And, and to kind of go in on this idea, again, the, the simplicity of that start of spiritual milk, like even verse one, it might be too hard for us, but it's simple. This idea of put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like it's just, it's called out. There, there's no wiggle room in that. It's not like, oh, well, I'll have a little malice in my heart because that guy really deserves it. Like shouldn't have done. That. No, it's, it's to put all of that away. And actually that's what it is to seek that spiritual milk is to put those things aside and actually seek what is good for our, our bodies, our souls, our spirit. Um, and, and, and sometimes I like that, that challenge of the scripture where I can't find wiggle room in it. Cause I'm not supposed to find wiggle room in it and to actually yeah. wrestle. What does that mean for me to, to put away these various things? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, what are you putting into your body? Um, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we, think of these things as just kind of passive emotions we might have or, or things we feel temporarily. But the more you feed yourself envy, slander, malice, the, the more you're going to become dependent on that, the more you will 
grow in that because you think about an athlete, they eat good foods. They eat foods that build up their body, that repair their body when it gets broken down. Mm-hmm. So I think in this sense, spiritually, you are what you eat. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Uh, so continuing here with verses uh, four through five, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love this language because again, it reminds me that Jesus has gone before me to prepare a place for me and that God is ultimately the great builder of all things. He, he built out this entire universe that we get to observe and, and be part of and, and relish and uh, admire and we get to steward, but he is now using the different members of the church to raise up a new living spiritual temple. And it, just like the previous temple, it is the place that God's presence resides here on earth. Hmm. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's Matthew 18. In the same way, when we gather together as the church, as this holy sanctuary, the presence, the spirit of the Lord comes and dwells among us. And, and so we are uh, the inhabitants of this spirit of God. And that's, I, to me, that's uh, kind of the heart of the theology that Peter is getting at here. But unlike that previous temple, mm-hmm. which was a physical place, this, in a sense, we, it still is a physical place because we have a physical presence here on earth, but it's much more than just one confined singular building. And it's not just for the nation of Israel. It is a living moving and acting temple filled with a royal priesthood. And that's a role that all of us now take part in. And it's all built on what? The cornerstone, right? Mm -hmm. The foundational stone. And and Jesus here is, or or Peter is referencing Matthew 21, where Jesus calls himself that. Of course, he's referencing Psalm 118. But we know that the cornerstone was rejected. And so what can we expect of future living spiritual stones? (laughs) get to deal with some of that ourselves right we will experience rejection and so i guess the most important part to me is that jesus is this cornerstone it's the thing upon which the whole building hinges and so that tells me that it's really not about our strength to hold up the building if god is Mm -hmm. the great builder the great architect and christ is the cornerstone then we can have security that you know the blueprint's pretty good yeah it's not about there, there's no um, structural errors in God's building. Mm-hmm. And then to think about that too, it, it, he's kind of, he's the one doing all that, that hard work, the heavy lifting, that's what it's rested on. And he's chosen to, to make each and one of us, a, a, one of his stones. And we all get to play a part in that. The, the world isn't dependent on our shoulders. Jesus has done that, but he has chosen us to be a part in this great building that he's, that he's using. And what a, what a joy that is. And we all have a role to play. Again, in that way, we can't say someone else's role is less important because they're higher up on the wall or lower on the wall. That all goes together, built upon Christ. Yeah, and there's, there's security and, and strength in the surrounding stones, right? It's not just, like you said, we're not freestanding. We have... Christ, the cornerstone, God is the architect. And then we have these living stones all around us that remind us of our place, remind us of the strength and numbers that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also get this language of chosen and precious. Um, to me, that, that evokes uh, the Old Testament where Israel is called God's special portion, um, his inheritance, his chosen people, his elect. 
So it is with the church. That's exactly what we become. We become the special portion or inheritance of God's holy kingdom. And that's all through Christ. In Christ, we are chosen. Um, and then the royal priesthood, even within the special portion, which is Israel, God had an even uh, more specific portion that was used as the priesthood, right? We have the Levite tribe, which we talked about a lot in Hebrews, and we won't get into that again. But we are now this holy priesthood, whereas it was just the Levite tribe before. Now it is all the people of God. We serve in a priestly capacity, which is a cool and strange thing to think about. So what does it mean that we serve as priests? Well, the text says we stand in the presence of God and we offer spiritual sacrifices, right? Mm -hmm. So what is a spiritual sacrifice? Any thoughts on that, Jack? Yeah, it's this, uh, the thing that, uh, things done for, I mean, the, the, the good of others, uh, we have this, this opportunity to actually, uh, I mean, before we saw the legitimate sacrifices they, they were making, and now God has called us to, to use our different gifts, uh, abilities and, and opportunities that we have with people around, uh, to, to go out and, and make that, uh, difference really. Yeah. So we, we do these good things so that other people were going before God, right? And we do these things so that the people we are coming before God for can be reconciled with mm -hmm. him, that they can experience a new relationship with God. And that's exactly what the priest did. They went in, they made a, an offering, a sacrifice, and the people could know they're standing with God. They can know that their sins were forgiven. So that's, that's the role that we serve. We get, to, we get to show people and remind people of the forgiveness they have in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And as the text says, it's all through Jesus Christ and through his power already displayed at the cross. Yeah. And that, and that's the cool thing that we get to when we're, we're getting to share that messages through the different opportunities God presents us to, to do. And, and it's a variety of different circumstances he'll use. And it's kind of wild how he uh, presents these opportunities. Uh, but our confidence is in that, as you mentioned, Christ has already gone to the cross. It's already been won. And so when we get to share their standing with God, it's, it's not one that, well, we hope maybe if you do this, it's, it's believe in Jesus Christ. It, it, we have that confidence that we can let them know truly where they stand. Again, you think about spiritual milk, you think, go back to the start where God makes some things clear. There's nothing more clear than that that our salvation comes through Jesus Christ. He lets us know where we stand. It's not one of those relationships where it's like, do they like me? Do they not? No, we have all the evidence, all the confidence in the world that Jesus Christ has done this for us. Yep. And so looking at verses six through eight here, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Yeah, and then the last part. Oh, of that sorry, part. I missed that part. I was like, sorry, let me redo verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. Yeah, so Peter in chapter one talked about the eternal glory and the foreknown nature of Christ and how he was God's great plan from the beginning before the world was even established. And so this laying in Zion is uh, the dwelling place of God, right? Zion is where God mm -hmm. dwells in, in Israel's uh, way of talking about God or Yahweh. 
And so this new temple, this new place will truly be in the eternal presence of the living God, the, the mm. very God that made us, that knew us before the world was created, which is a, a crazy and cool thought to have. And then you get the quotation from Isaiah 28. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Mm-hmm. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 20, verse 18. You fall on the stone and are broken to pieces, or it falls on you and you are crushed. So the way I take that, if you do not believe, if Christ is not your honor, if he's not precious to you, then that's what awaits you. You're either broken to pieces or you're crushed. Um, Mm. Some people take that verse in Luke to mean um, if you fall on the stone, then Christ breaks down whatever ego you have. And if you reject the stone, then you're crushed by the stone. But I, I just take it as if Christ is not your all in all, if he is not, you know, the cornerstone upon which you build your life in the same way that all of life is dependent on this cornerstone in Zion, then nothing good awaits you, basically. Yeah. We get to experience this in small ways in terms of like when we do sin, when we go away from God's will and we experience the backlash of that, as we mentioned, like you get in what you, what you put in type thing at, at times and you get to experience like, oh man, sin isn't good. Uh, the, the consequence for this, whether it directly affected me or I saw how it hurt people around me. Uh, we kind of can see how that really breaks us down and clearly how that we don't want to, uh, to wait that like it, this stuff matters. It's really what it comes down to me. As simple as that sounds, like it matters. You go back to the baby, like if they neglect the milk, they wither. Like that, that's it. I mean, that's terrifying. That's incredibly sad. We don't want to think about that kind of thing, but it, the same is true here uh, for all of us. Like we ourselves need to make sure we're receiving that nourishment. We have that confidence that comes from Christ. And again, brings that urgency for others because we know that it's available for them and we don't want to see others crushed. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go back to that um, that talk about newborns. You, my wife is a, a big, um, she studied nutrition and dietetics, mm-hmm. and she always talks about intuitive eating. And she says, babies are great intuitive eaters because they, when they're hungry, they seek out food, right? And as we get older, we, you know, we start to have more complex relationships <laughs> with food, but it's it's intuitive and it's instinctual for a baby to seek out milk from its mother. In the same way, it, it should be our instinct. We, we should be so conditioned and so dependent on the word of God that we should, we should naturally seek out mm-hmm. and instinctually seek out this word of God to spiritually refill us whenever we are, uh, when, when we have fasted from the word or when we are hungry for the word or, or we've been beaten down by the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and sometimes we think about this like, am I doing enough? Am I actually built on Christ? And we kind of can almost work ourselves up. But you think about like a newborn, newborn, like they're not doing all that much. Like they're not accomplishing anything, no great feats, to, but they are reliant. They are, uh, they're relying on that person to provide for them. And that's where we want to be as Christians, as followers of Jesus. When we're relying on Jesus, uh, it is the greatest strength that we have because we're relying on the God of the universe who loves us, who is good, and we can trust in him. True. So some fun verses here, nine and 10. I like these. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not people, not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
yeah, so radical shift from being Gentiles or outsiders, whoever is receiving this letter, whoever reads this letter in the future, if you are in Christ, you are now part of a nation that is bigger than any race, any nationality, any uh, cultural background. It is, it is a family that extends time and space, that extends all culture, um, all man-made establishments. It, it is something that extends beyond sin's power. It is a, a people chosen by God, redeemed by the Son of God. And so now we are this chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And, and that's a, it's cool the way it, it both does and does not reflect the history of the Old Testament because mm. God had a people then and God has a people now, but it's a new kind of mercy for all people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I love the inclusion of the language in verse nine about uh, being called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Jesus is called the light uh, quite a bit in the gospels, but I, I think of the kind of the prologue to the gospel of John. He entered into the world, right? He overcame the darkness. The world was made through him and he came to his own, right? He came to the original people of God, Israel, but the world and his own could not receive him. Hmm. But now those who have received the true light have that right, according to John 1 verse 12, to be called the children of God, to be called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own precious possession. Mm-hmm. And it, it just blows my mind, this idea of, again, being chosen be kind of picked for this kind of stuff I, I think back to so going into my eighth grade year uh i attended one of our, our high schools like summer basketball camps and stuff and so i was set up they did a bunch of drills and things but they also had like the varsity players would from all the kids pick out teams and you play a lot of games against each other so going into my eighth grade year eighth grade was the oldest you could be going into the camp and so a, lo- a lot of these players a lot of kids there like my travel team, basically the whole team was there playing. Another travel team we played against the whole team. So like a lot of really good players. And I was like a bench player on my travel team. Uh, and suddenly we're standing there. And like I had done some good stuff the, the year before at this camp. And I'm like under five foot, but a pretty good shooter, a good little point guard kind of thing. Nice kid, likes to play hard, all that kind of stuff. But nothing particularly impressive. Carlos, the point guard for our varsity team, who has first pick, and a whole line of kids – points to me and goes jack and then he goes he yells championship we're gonna win whatever and i'm there saying like he must mean there's another jack there's there's somebody else here because i can point to andrew i can point to cameron i can point to 12 other kids that i would pick well before myself and here we go and in okay i in this story we didn't win the championship we did fine we played around but i was definitely not meant to be the first pick but it's just it's that same sort of thing of like again this god of the universe where it's like you have a pick of all these kind of people and you would in- include me uh, on that you would go through all this stuff to include me and, and bring me into it and it's just overwhelming when you really get to understand what that is like if there was a time when we had not received mercy and now you have received it like just everything absolutely has changed uh, and for the better, but sometimes you rock your mind and be like, God, you chose me. And just, just cause I thank God you did. Yeah. So crazy, crazy way of doing things. God chooses the least deserving to receive the most precious gift. It's a, he's a strange God. He does mm-hmm. some weird things, but, uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so continuing right along here with, uh, verses, uh, 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yeah, if you remember from verse 1 of chapter 1, we had the language of exiles and dispersion. And it's, this is just reiterating it again. We are sojourners. We are exiles. Mm-hmm. We, we, are no, we no longer belong to this world. We've been called out of the world. Um, and so the, I, I guess it's, it's all about being part of this new kingdom. And, and what this kingdom represents is something far beyond what this world now represents because the world is fading away. And so we are part of something that lasts into eternity. And what does it mean to live with the scope of eternity? What does it mean to live with the, the frame, the mind frame of things matter into eternity, that the stuff I do actually can impact the kingdom of God. It, it doesn't depend on my power, but Jesus has called me to do work mm-hmm. for the eternal kingdom of heaven. And so then you start to think about like sins and passions of the flesh. They aren't just benign things, right? They, uh, these aren't just things that we do and, and they don't actually affect us. They're, they're just kind of, it's not like bad karma. These are actually malignant things. These are things that can grow in you, that can develop in you, that become, that become more and more death bearing instead of mm-hmm. life bearing. And they wage war against your soul. That's the language he uses, right? Wage war against your soul. Would you ever actively seek out war against your physical body? Mm-hmm. No, none no. of us goes into a situation looking for a fight, right? If you do, then you have some deeper problem that you need to work <laughs> out. So why, so why do we allow ourselves to think of these things as benign when in reality we're waging war against our, we're tearing at our own souls because the sins and passions of the flesh don't belong to the new reborn soul in Christ. Yeah. And, and, and read death in you. Yeah. And, and you can think about this. We, we get really good at, at self justification. We rationalize things so well of, Oh, it's not that bad. It's just a little thing. Uh, I mean, I, I love the quote of like, no one is as creative as someone in the midst of self justification where we can think of some crazy things to make ourselves feel better about stuff. Uh, but even as you mentioned, the, uh, the uh, perspective for eternity, we got to have that same perspective on sin of like how sin could actually affect eternity for us or for others. And, and that stuff really makes it seem so much more serious. So it's like, oh, that little bit of slander, that little bit of this is, is um, really not good. And I mean, I love how scripture puts in other places, like put to death your, your sinful desires. Like it's this dramatic thing because we need to take it seriously. It's a war. It's not just a fun little mess around. This is something major. And, and when you think about a war, and, and my encouragement to all of you guys is, it's, it's a whole war. So if you lose a battle, don't give up. Don't quit just because one battle, two battles, three battles have gone the wrong way. It's a, it's a continual war. And as we go through this war, we actually know that Jesus has already won it. So remember that as you go through it. Don't quit just because you lost a battle and keep your eyes on Jesus because he has already sealed our victory. Yeah. And sometimes in war, retreating is a good tactical strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So if we are confronted with a sin that we keep running into over and over again or a problematic situation, sometimes it's a good thing to retreat, to go and and regroup, find supplies, get back up, right? Get allies that can help you face. Who Who wants to fight a war alone? Right. So um, just because you, you have to retreat sometimes doesn't mean that you are eternally defeated. I, mm-hmm. I totally agree with you, Jack. 
And then, and then I, I love keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation, which is the day in which Christ returns in judgment and we stand before God. The day that God once again comes to visit us and makes his ruling, right? And fortunately, he has given that ability to judge to the son and the son doesn't judge us if we are in him. So again, this perspective of eternity, the things we do actually can lead other people to glorifying God and to finding mercy in that day of visitation. So these things, they actually matter. It's not, it's, it's really not a faith just about you. And sometimes, especially in the American church, we get this idea that we're coming to church every Sunday so that we can get our own clean slate. And then we'll come back again next Sunday and just keep redoing it, keep redoing it. Mm -hmm. But it, but if you live a life of faith that is only centered on you, then you miss the bigger picture because the, the story of the Bible, it's all about Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And Jesus is all about everyone else. So if we are living our lives any other way, then we're not reading the same book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Faith, acting in love is, is what we get called to do. It, it is definitely not individual focus. We are one body. Uh, and then we think about the one people that just the unity God wants us to cultivate. We have to be in community. We have to be with other people and focused outside of ourselves. Uh, and just how cool that is. Just keep your conduct, you know, honorable. So when they speak against you, like it's what Paul says too. He says, when I finish preaching, I discipline my body and make it my slave. So when I finish preaching, I won't be disqualified from the prize. There's this whole thing of uh, you go back to the start of the whole chapter with the hypocrisy. It's just kind of living our lives the way God has called us to. Uh, and so that we don't have to worry if people are trying to attack us for various things. It's yep. we, we have confidence in, in what we've done and, and we continue to move forward. And note that it says when they speak against you, not, <laughs> if, not if they speak against you, when, right? I, mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of thoughts there, but anyway, let's keep going. Yeah, of course. And now this kind of comes into a little bit of a switch of, of topics, not, uh, but it's really good here. We're going to go verses 13, 14, and 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Yeah, so uh, something many Christians may not want to hear, especially right now, and I don't care I really don't care at all where you fall on the political spectrum because God's word is God's word, mm -hmm. but we have a calling to be good citizens. And what does it mean to be a good citizen? It means to obey the governing authorities. And you can ask about like, well, how do we nuance that with like, what if a government gives bad direction for our lives? I, that's between you and God. What God is telling you in this passage right here through the words of Peter is that we are to obey the rules and, and the institutions that God has put over us through these earthly authorities, through these earthly governments. And Peter is not, these aren't empty words. Peter is writing this to people that are citizens of Rome. This mm -hmm. is the most uh, overwhelming power in the world at this time. And, it, and it's not necessarily a, a really gracious government, especially for people who think differently than Rome. So to be Christians, people that are called specifically out of the world, but called to live in the world under these authorities that don't see things the way they see them. And you can, where, again, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, any earthly institution that we have right now, any government in any country does not see 
things the way that Christians see things, right? Because they operate with different agendas. They're not, they don't operate for the purposes of accomplishing God's will. Mm -hmm. They are put in place by God, but they aren't specifically stated to be pursuing God's will. Whereas we are called to obey God's will. And part of God's will for us is to live in obedience to the governing authorities. Now that has a lot of connotation in our world today, especially when we deal with this pandemic. And I, I get that people may not like some of the rules and the mandates and the expectations of living in a time of pandemic, but God calls us to live under the governing authorities, to obey the rules and the standards that they set for us. And it's not an easy task, but it is the command of scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just like to think about how, how just Jesus interacted with the, the governing bodies at, at that time. He was very much so for the kingdom of God, obviously lived his life for God. And, and within that, found the appropriate way to to obey the governing authorities then like i just think of when they came to arrest jesus when they came i forgive me if i'm a little wrong but it was something like they had like 200 troops coming there and it's like if you if you know jesus that's either way too few because jesus can take on any number of human beings you want to bring like it's not even close or it's way too many because jesus was going to submit himself to the authority and allow himself uh to be taken so it's just it's one of those things that like it, it is so challenging for us, but even the one that we follow, Jesus modeled how we can actually live out this scripture here in First Peter. Yep, that's true. And I, I love that, that last part. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So our conduct is actually a testament to the gospel living inside of us. The way we live, the way we treat other people, the way we respond to our governing authorities is actually a testament to what we believe. That's that's what Peter is laying out here. So, oh, I, go ahead, Jack. Yeah. So I'm just want to clarify on this last little bit here. So I don't I don't silence ignorant, uh, foolish people by yelling at them. No. Dang it. And and you know what? I I understand that we cannot live in fear, but we cannot live pretending that there aren't people experiencing fear. Mm. Pretending that fear isn't uh, a natural part of being in a world filled with sin, right? So no, we can't live in fear and we have to keep doing what God calls us to do every single day. But we also have to nurture and take care of and care for people that are stuck in their fear. They need to have the hope that Jesus has a place for them, that Jesus is caring for them, that, that God the Father knows their life, knows the details of their life and it intimately cares for them. So just telling people not to live in fear to me is so counterproductive to the gospel and, and saying that doing the things that the government is asking us to do for the well-being of the entire nation is, is somehow giving into fear mentality. I, I just don't think that reflects accurately the calling of the gospel. So I'm sure there will be people that listen to this that disagree with me, but we're called to honor and respect our government and the rules, whether or not we like what they instruct us to do all the time. I don't necessarily like speed limits, but I'm expected to drive the speed limit. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I don't know, that's, that's a lot of thoughts woven in there, but I think we just need to be, we just need to be more nuanced with the way we talk about life, especially in this pandemic and the expectations of living through a pandemic and, and the implications that our actions and the way we live have on the people around us, because people fall on all different lines in this spectrum. It's not you're, it's not just two camps. This isn't a binary issue. There has to be nuance and flavor and seasoning to the way we talk to people wherever they fall in the spectrum. 
And I love how Paul puts it, the idea of like, for, for all people, I've become all things so that I may, for the sake of the gospel, win some. Where yeah. and he had a life where he reached out to so many different groups of people and he really needed to meet them where they're at. That's how Jesus taught him to do. That's how he modeled. And you get to love. You have to have an understanding where they are. And Paul even talks about, again, like, I, I absolutely could eat this meat, but if it's going to cause my brother trouble, then I'm not going to do it with him. Like, it's just these things where, it, again, it, it goes beyond ourselves. And how can we care for other people? And sometimes that sacrifices, uh, oftentimes, and it's, it's sacrificing our own comforts. Yeah. It's not, it's not uh, just, oh, when it's easy, I'll do this. It, it means sometimes I'm going to be a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. Uh, and then we actually get to appreciate what it means to sacrifice for another person uh, and care for them. Because uh, it, is, it is definitely challenging at this time. Again, even being here in Florida, seeing it with some hurricanes that happen. Uh, when that kind of big stuff creeps up, you'll see the best in people where they're going out of their way to help make sure everybody's prepared. You also see the, the worst when we start to turn in on ourselves and what do I need? And we start, that's when we fill up a hundred gas tanks. So the other 10 cars don't get gas and, and various things like that. And uh, we got to be thinking not only of ourselves, but collectively for one another. Yep. And uh, this is not, Jack and I aren't positing that we are, you know, exemplar models of what it means to live selflessly, but we can't deny the word of God. And mm -hmm. that's what it's laying out. So, you know, we, all of us are faulty. All of us fail over and over. And fortunately God's grace is bigger than our failure, but Absolutely. we still need to hear a hard truth. Yeah. And, and, and that's been the, the joy for me to go through this, these studies with you, Jeff, is to just be reminded, like, I mean, as we're sharing these truths, like it, I'm hearing each and every one of them as well. Uh, and just kind of doing those heart checks of where am I at, including with the spiritual milk, like, am I going back to those basics to be sustained continuing through uh, this pandemic and stuff? It's good. So taking a peek here now at verses 16 and 17. It says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So just in case you disagreed with our analysis of 13, 14, and 15, here's 16 and 17 to reiterate it. Liberty is not uh, for licentiousness. Liberty is not for our personal pleasure, liberty is not for our ability to do whatever we want, whenever we want to. We have been set free so that we can be servants of God. That's what it means to be born again of the Spirit, to be born again in Jesus Christ, is to live to serve our true master. So we have been liberated from our former master, which are the sins and passions of the flesh, the power of the devil, the power of death itself. And instead, we now have the freedom to choose our new master, to serve our true master, the master of all things, the, the Lord and creator of all life. And so honor everyone. That's what it says. Verse 17 starts out, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Wherever you are, however you feel about the politics or the leaders or their judgments in a situation or, or their failings or their capacity to do things right on an instance to instance basis, honor them. And the people you disagree with, honor them as well. And, and I love that kind of just sentiment. It's, a, it's kind of you set the bar. Like it's that whole classic thing of I'm going to treat you well, even if you don't treat me well. It's, again, it just kind of it shows your character, who you are. It shows the God that you follow uh, to others when we actually live this out. It, it has such a profound effect, hopefully on that person that you're inter interacting with, but for sure on the people that witness those interactions. Yep. 
I say we go right into verse 18. I love it. Let's do 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, for what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten, uh, beaten for it, you endure? But if you do, do good and suffer for it, endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So if you thought those last couple of verses were challenging, here's some even more challenging verses. Be subject to not just the good and the gentle, but to even unjust masters. That's a, that's a radical bit of theology there. Uh, that's a, a radical exhortation from Peter who will uh, be subject to unjust authorities that will eventually put him to death, right? A lot, mm-hmm. of the, a lot of the early Christians were martyrs to unjust governments, rulers, and masters. Um, so do not give as you believe others deserve, right? Give in mercy and graciousness because that's how God gave to you. That's what God decided you were worthy of. Because on our own, we weren't worthy of it. It's only because God proclaimed us worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we get to receive that. So it's unmerited. It's given to sinful people, broken people, Mm. but that's the calling, right? And so then we get this this, uh, phrase, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So there's a sense here that God is mindful and cognizant of when we suffer unwarranted persecution, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of this, this idea that we are laying up our treasure in heaven, not in investments or, or stock or equity that we can necessarily reap here on earth, but that there's something far better, far exceeding a reward that we can't even imagine that awaits us in the next life. And that's mm-hmm. when we stand in the very presence of the God of the universe. Um, and so, and I also love that Peter puts it like, you know, if you get punished for doing something unjust, then that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Yeah, so, there's no, nothing special there. Yeah, so you're not special if you, you know, you endure the punishment that you deserve. But instead, do good. And if you suffer for doing good by all people, right, honoring everyone, honoring mm-hmm. the emperor, loving the brotherhood, then continue to do good. So do good and then do some more good. Yeah, it's a good response. Yeah, absolutely challenging. But again, as we get into it, it just is, uh, you go by the end of his spiritual milk, he makes it really clear. Like there's, there's not the wiggle room. He even calls this one out. He doesn't just say, hey, be subject to all masters. And then our own minds, well, if they're bad, we won't be. He actually even says, even if they're unjust, like he calls it out and, and to allow that truth to kind of sink in, to wash over us. And we think about the, the authorities that were around. I mean, obviously we can think nationally, but we also bring it into our own states, our own communities, our own places of work. Um, and like, how do we actually carry and, and live this out? Uh, but truly, uh, I love that, that God doesn't miss. He, he's watching us and he notices when we're suffering in his name. Uh, yeah. And that is something that he rewards, that he cares for you in those times. Uh, and that's, again, that even that last line cracks me up because it's like, hey, if we then uh, snap and then get angry and, and rebel against the master and then we're getting punished for it, it's like, okay, well, you kind of brought that on. You can play the blame game, but you still did your actions at whatever point. And, and there you go. But when we continue to do what is good, as you said, do good and then do some more good. Uh, that is, that's what God is calling us to in this passage. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, this 
is tending to be a little bit uh, law heavy, if you will. But the, this all stems from earlier in the chapter when it says we are chosen and precious. And because we are chosen, because we are precious to God, because mm-hmm. we are his special portion, we have the honor of being this royal priesthood that intercedes for our fellow man, that, that serves as a, a mediator in the sense that Jesus is the great mediator, but so that other people can be reconciled before the God that made them. So, uh, yes, living as a Christian is probably should be the hardest thing you'll ever do because it's a hard life to live, to live the model that Christ lived. But it all, it all stems from this idea that we are so precious to God and that we are chosen by God before the world was created. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And let's finish this chapter off with verses 21 through 25. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sins, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Yeah, so all these exhortations, they are based on the model that Peter witnessed firsthand, the life that Peter saw lived, the the example of a man who walked knowingly into his death, that willingly accepted custody and an unjust trial and beatings and suffering, and then to be murdered on a cross. He he chose those things for our sake, for for the will of God to be accomplished. And so, uh, you know, you think about Jesus being arrested, the worst things that he ever did, which weren't bad at all, were healing people, right? Raising the dead, speaking the truth. These are all things that we would uh, Mm. admire and encourage in today's world. He set people free and then he was being nailed to a cross. So if you want someone who truly suffered unjustly, that's Jesus Christ. And we are called to live just as Jesus Christ has lived. And and just think about like showing people respect to stuff. Like our our school theme is uh, "Be Thou My Vision," and we're and doing a little reflection with some of the staff, just talking about this idea of like, what is it really to see things like like God sees things? And and I think of the eyes of Jesus, where in that same day he's looking at a crowd of people who he loves, who he came for, and they're shouting, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And he's looking upon these people as they are cheering and and jeering towards him as he is literally dying on a cross. And his response is, is to actually advocate for them before the Father. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Like, it, it just absolutely blows my mind, the example, the love that we get from Jesus Christ. Yep. It's, uh, it's a mind-blowing thing. And these aren't just platitudes or, or nice thoughts or ideas that, you know, the Bible puts forth. It's, it's actually what it means to be exiles, right? To be uh, part of this new kingdom, this this coming kingdom, um, to be strangers in a, an even stranger land, right? We we know we don't belong here. This isn't our, our final resting place, but we know that we are here for a purpose and we're ushering in the new kingdom. So it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for me this week as, you know, we go into an ever more complicated world and and an ever changing world. And Jack will be the same for you. And it'll be the same for anyone listening to this podcast. Anyone that 
exists, right? That the world isn't going to stop getting complicated. It's going to get worse and worse until it gets better again. But our calling doesn't change. We're, we're expected to live as sons and daughters of God. Amen. And let's all drink our spiritual milk this week. Prepare yep. ourselves for what is to come. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Being God's word. Good stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us for the second chapter of First Peter. We'll be back uh, next week as we continue our dive into it. Uh, please reach out to us on any of the platforms if you ever need us for anything at all. But uh, thank you for joining us. And until next time, God bless.